Let's pray. Most gracious Father, God of heaven and earth, God who created all things, God who maintains and sustains all things with the word of your power, God so righteous that nothing unholy could come near you, God you who dwell in unapproachable glory, you who clothe yourself with light as with a garment. The righteous one. The great shepherd of the sheep. This afternoon we come before you once again. Grateful that you have put your word into our hearts and our mouths and our hands. Father, for if it was not for your word, we have no bearing point on where we are headed. Neither would there be a knowledge of your own good self, nor an understanding of from where you have lifted us up. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the Holy Ghost, who opens your word unto us. Every time we sit before an open Bible, God, we are thankful that the Holy Spirit assists us. And Lord, now as we come to you once again this afternoon to look into your word, we pray for an obedient heart and a willing mind to receive from you and help us that we shall not be fools. For after looking into your perfect word, help us to make that correction and be wise. For your word is infallible, we are all fallible. Therefore, we pray that the words of our mouths and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Gracious God, take full charge. We bless you. We thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's, uh, let's worship God. Amen. Now, when I say that, I'm sure that you're prepared to sing as if worship was different from word. So, worship is over, now it's the word. But the Bible says that worshiping the Lord is giving Him all the attention and all the affection. So, when I say let's worship, don't clear your throat. Prepare your heart. And that's what the Word of God does. So let's, not, let's forget about the dichotomy between singing and hearing. For it is all one. And that's what God has called us to over here. For a mere two hours, God wants us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
and that could not be true unless it was 24/7 but now for the time being we'll sing a song it's a song that's really close to my own heart and a song that has meaning unto the message i have the lyrics here that's why and i'm sure you can all join us the song says your only son no sin to hide but you have sent him from your side to walk upon this guilty sod and become the lamb of god your only son no sin to hide but you have sent him from your side to walk upon this guilty soul and to become the lamb of god oh lamb of god sweet lamb of god i love the holy lamb of god oh wash me in his precious blood my jesus christ the lamb of God, your gift of love your gift of love they crucify they crucify they laughed and scorned him they laughed and scorned him as he died the humble king the humble king they named a fraud they named a fraud and sacrifice and sacrifice the lamb of god oh lamb of god oh lamb of god sweet lamb of god i love the whole lamb of god so lost i was so lost i should have died i should have died but you have brought me but you have brought me to your side to be led by your staff and rod and to Because the Lamb of God, O Lamb of God, O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God, O Lord. 
precious blood, my Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left. Sin had left a crimson stain. He wore me white as snow. For Jesus paid it all. To Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. Great is your faithfulness. Great is thine faithfulness. Oh, by morning, new mercies I see, Lord. All I have needed, I. I want you to cast your mind back on all that God has done. On all that He has done. Everything. Everything. And I want you to lift up your hearts unto Him. And to acknowledge that He has been faithful. He's the Lamb of God. 
the lamb that was slain. Your only son knows sin to hide. We bless your name, Father. Create in us, O Lord God, a heart of gratitude, a heart that would worship you, that would love you, that would chase after you, that would follow you, even as a a sheep follows the shepherd. God, I pray that there will be a stirring up of our hearts this afternoon. God, to follow after you. Lord, to run near unto thee. For we bless you. We thank you for your presence in our midst. Great is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, we have offered our songs and worship. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles with me. Thank you. To Psalm number 51. And by the grace of God, we shall see the gospel in the psalm. Amen. Oh, I love the gospel. I love the gospel. For it is the power of God. For it is the power of God. Unto men. Amen. For it is the power of God. It is the power of God. I love the gospel. And by the grace of God, we shall see the gospel in Psalm 51. Where David presents the gospel. In Psalm number 51. I'm going to read it in its entirety. Please be with me. Psalm 51. Now usually we skip the headings. But not this time. Because if the heading is there. It is there for a purpose. So we shall read that as well. To the chief musician. A Psalm of David. When Nathan the prophet came unto him. After he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou may be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desired truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Lord, hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. God, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, 
and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thine presence and take not thine Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thine salvation and uphold me with thine free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness. O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then thou shalt be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Let's pray once more. Father, my prayer is that we would remain in Psalm 51. That our hearts would remain in the holy written word. That our soul will feast upon the rich treasures that you have given us through this wonderful psalm. Father, where we see our own heart reflected, where we see your righteousness displayed, where we see the gospel in all its shining glory. In this psalm singular. Father for your word says that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Therefore I pray for discernment for everyone in this room. And everyone who would hear my voice in the name of Jesus. Lord let there be an unplugging of ears in the name of Jesus. And even as the psalmist has said that he cried out and he said, God, that you would open my lips, Father, that at the end of this psalm, at the end of our deliberation and meditation of this psalm, you would open our lips. There would be a great unsealing of our own lips this afternoon that we may proclaim praises unto you after seeing your riches in the psalm. Teach us your word, O Lord. Father, for your spirit makes no errors. Therefore, we ask for the assistance of the Holy Ghost in both my speech and also in the hearing. That you would give charge to your ministering angels, Lord, that every whispering spirit, every slumbering spirit in this arena might be driven away by the good spirits from heaven. Father, that we would want to live and to live daily in this psalm. Therefore help us that our hearts will be enlarged this day by your word in the name of Jesus. Blessed be your name, O Father. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. What makes a Christian a Christian is not the brokenness over his past sins, but the connection that the brokenness has with the Lord Jesus. I want you to get that in the context of how I read Psalm 51. 
usually we read the word of God as if it was a medicine bottle three times a day to keep the devil away. But the psalm, the book, the word of God was written with emotion. You understand that? That's why it's, the Bible should be read with emotion. The Bible should be read with your heart in it. Unless you read the Bible with your heart in it, it would not reach your heart. Therefore, the way I read Psalm 51 is one of the ways you could read. Not saying it is the way. But as you read the word with your heart in it, you would find that it does magic in your heart. A miracle would happen. Therefore, the brokenness that we read now, in Psalm 51, if you'd seen, I read it with some level of brokenness, though I'm not being very dramatic about it. That brokenness and that relationship of that brokenness with Christ in heaven is what defines your relationship. That the connection that we get as we read the psalm with the living Lord, with what He has done at Calvary, that relationship, that connection is what defines us day after day. Now, as you read the psalm, or any scripture for that matter, a question you need to ask is, why is this word in the word? Because there are other books that were not included in the canon of scriptures. Now, why did God decide to put this word into his word? That's the first question you ask. And second question you ask is, what is the key to this psalm? The key to this psalm, we usually think, is create in me a clean heart, O God, which is nice, which is good, which is, of course, a penitent prayer. But I believe the key is given in verse 17. The Psalms help us to think and to feel. To think and to feel. In John chapter 4, when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, the woman said that, where shall we worship God? And he says, neither on this mountain or that, but we shall worship God in spirit and in truth. And the Father seeketh for them that worship in spirit and in truth. Have you ever thought about God in heaven Seeking for something? Do your own Bible study and search the Bible for places where God says, I seek. One example is this. Another example would be Luke 19 where Jesus says, I came to seek and to save them that are lost. John 4 and verse 23 says that God seeks for them that worship Him in spirit and in truth. That means worshipping God is an attitude of the head and the heart. So if someone told you Christianity is leave your brains outside and worship the Lord, he has not known the Bible. Because you worship God as much with your intellect as this verse and the other verses of the Bible put together would teach you that you worship God with both your mind and your heart. And the Psalms help us in both because the Psalm was written with the heart in it. Psalm 32, David was in the midst of his sin probably with Bathsheba and then he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Why? When he received forgiveness, he wrote with great joy. 
And at the end of his life, not at the beginning, not when he was a 17-year-old boy, at the end of his life, he goes into his own room and probably takes his pen and he writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, how do I get that? Because of the last verse. Because at the end of his life, he says, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. So let's begin to read the Bible with our head and our heart in it. Verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. That is the key that unlocks the psalm for you and for I. That is what unlocks the psalm. Because if you see, the psalm was not written immediately after the sin. It was written, as the heading says, after Nathan confronted him. So let's go and ask Prophet Samuel what he has to say. So let's turn to Second Samuel chapter 11 and see the story of why this psalm becomes a center point to point us to the gospel. The key to studying the Old Testament narratives is to find out how Christ is glorified. Because from Genesis 1-1 unto Revelation chapter 22, it is Christ that God wants to portray. If you've seen the progression, you would understand that God was always focusing on Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 says that in the past, God has spoken through prophets. He has spoken through the angels. But now, He speaks through Jesus. So what is the central theme of the Bible? It has to be Jesus. So let's not read any scripture in isolation of the New Testament revelation. The New Testament revelation makes the Old Testament even clearer. 2 Samuel chapter 11, and these are the circumstances. And it came to pass after the years was expired at that time when kings go forth for to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. You should read the Bible as if you're reading a, a good storybook. Right? It should be it should excite you. Okay? He stayed at home. And it came to pass at evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and once said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Three doors of escape. David misses it. And David sent messengers and took her, she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived, and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. Now between verse 5 and verse 6, scheming, has started. And David sent Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. I'll not read the whole story. You know that. And Uriah came. And David thrice 
asked him to go home because he thought that he would go home and whether he lay with his wife or not after the war when he comes back when the wife gives birth then it would legitimately be Uriah's child at least in the eyes of the people but David did not know that Uriah was more noble than himself because when a man goes down the slick road the road becomes more slippery C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters says that when, when the big devil tells the small devil, he says that let the road to sinfulness be an unmarked road without sudden turns. Let it be gradual, let it be smooth so that he does not even know he's sinking. And then we find that Uriah finally decided not to go into his own wife. He lies down there with his own um, uh, soldiers, co-soldiers. And then he goes back. And when he goes back, David schemes and gets this man killed. Now in a magnanimous show of his own, grateful, his own greatness, David takes the wife of the, or the widow of the soldier and marries her. And one of the greatest understatements in the Bible is given in verse 27. That is the greatest understatement. Because you see where David began from. David began from letting his mind wander. That's when David began from. And then David went into adultery. He went into scheming. He went into lying. He went into murder. And then there is this greatest understatement which says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Of course it displeased the Lord. You bet it displeased the Lord. It would displease you and I. Would it not displease the Lord? Then he rises up and he sends his, his prophet and he says, go and deal with him. Now, mind you, it was a year before Nathan confronts, because later on you find that in verse 15, it says, Nathan went away from the presence of David and the child that was born to them. Now, for a normal human being, a child should take at least nine months. So, nine months elapsed between the sin and the confrontation, and David was silent. I think this was the time, I do not know, this was the time he wrote Psalm 32, because it says that when I kept silent, my bones waxed weary within me. All my sap was sucked in as the dryness of summer, as the drought of summer. This is what happens when we push our sin under the rug. David knew it. He was struggling under the crushing burden of sin. And I want you to see all this in the context of your sin and mine. Let's not point fingers at David right now. All this happened and Nathan comes and Nathan builds a beautiful story. He says that there was a man who had a small, young, little, one, 
one ewe lamb that was his total flock and there was another rich man who had a very big herd and there was a, a, a visitor who came to visit the rich man and he he wanted to prepare something good so he went to the flock not his own but to the flock of this poor man and took the ewe lamb if you read that if you read the parable that nathan says there is one line that describes the state of the rich man and four verses that described the status of the poor man the ewe lamb was eating from his own plate the ewe lamb was sore as you see he wanted to build the intensity of the story and i want you to see this in the light of your sin and mine so he built the intensity of this and he said and david pronounced judgment on himself he said the man who did this should die and then comes the chilling reply the dagger enters into the heart of david when nathan points his bony finger on his face and says thou art the man and then comes the most interesting part where david immediately says oh i have sinned let's read chapter 12 and let's read verse 10 says verse 13 and david said unto nathan i have sinned against the lord now what's this this is the gospel and nathan says unto david the lord has put away your sins just like that just like that Chapter 11 verse 27 says that and the Lord was displeased with what he did. Chapter 12 and verse 13 says that your sins have been put away. This is outrageous. No human judge in a court of law would accept I am sorry as a valid propitiation for the sin committed. No right judge no just human judge forget about god and this is god who speaks through nathan and says your sin has passed over just like that have you asked yourself the question how does god forgive child molesters Have you asked yourself the question how does a man who gets turned on by babies and who has sex with 6 month old children get entered into the kingdom of God have you asked yourself the question have you asked yourself the question that how does one i read in paper in musket daily on wednesday that an emirati man and his wife are going to be asked to be imprisoned because they were torturing a 6 year old and a 4 year old girl out of which the 4 year old died musket daily wednesday because the treatment that the man was giving was that he was pouring boiling water on the child giving electric shocks 
not feeding them for days, six-year-old and four-year-old. Now I want you to think the outrageous forgiveness of God when this Emirati comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I am sorry, God forgives. This is outrageous. Unbelievable. I want you to see the depth of the gospel in Psalm 51. Now you and I think that God owes us a forgiveness. I'll tell you why. Because you and I hold up our sin against another man's sin. Because I hold up mine against the Emiratis and say, my sin is not as big. See the point? I hold myself against my sin against, uh, against Osama bin Laden. And I say, I have not sinned. I did not kill so many people. I did not crash a plane into, into a building and kill 3,000. But I want you to see this, that when I hold up my sin against the holiness, purity and whiteness of God's holiness, it's a different story. Then it's a different story. Then you understand the outrageous forgiveness of God. I don't want you to forget that. Because with that mentality, we come over here and we worship God as if God owes me a forgiveness. Because I did not commit such heinous crimes. I did not sin as badly as X, Y, or Z. But if you see that the law says that any sin, whether you lie, whether you have unbelief, it is a sin. Against the holiness and the greatness of God. Therefore, next time we worship, let's ask the Lord, Lord, how did you forgive me? Me. Me. I don't know if you would ask it for yourself. I ask the Lord that. Because I do not compare my sins now anymore. To anyone else's, I compare my sin to the outrageous act of the sinless Lamb of God suffering on the cross. If you cannot see and accept the sinless Lamb of God being on the cross for your single lie or for your single stealing or for my words of hatred to my wife, if I can't see Jesus, the outrageous, the, the act of the sinless Lamb of God being put on the cross, if I can't see that, then I can't see forgiveness. I will not be able to see forgiveness. Then we all better go home. Because we are wasting our time here. We ought to see what it costs. God. To pay for your sin. Your single lie. Your single hatred. 
your raka. When you get angry, you've committed murder. What did it cost the Lord? Your sins are passed over. Outrageous. Now the answer to that is given in the book of Romans. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3. And let's find out how God forgave David. And how God forgives you and I. If you are wondering how God forgives rapists. How he forgives child molesters. How he forgives murderers. How he forgives people who are called pedophiles. How does he forgive? And then you include yourself and say, how did he forgive me? Because I don't want you to discount that. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3. And if you read Romans chapter 3, that Romans 3 talks about the law. And it says that no one will be justified by the law because the law was given as a, as a mirror to see your own sinfulness. The law came to say that X, Y, Z is wrong. That's Romans 3. Now in Romans 3, when you come down to verse 24, and look at Paul writing to the Romans and also to us. It says that being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Don't stop. Whom God has set forth. So who killed Jesus? The Lord did. You need to come to terms with gospel reality. This is the gospel. Oh, this is why I love the gospel. This is why I love the gospel. Verse 24 says, Whom God set forth to be a propitiation. Through how? Through faith. Now how was Abraham justified? Through faith. How was David justified? Through faith. Through faith, God set Jesus to be a propitiation. Through faith in His blood. To do what? To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. How did the Old Testament prophets get redeemed? Through this verse. Because somehow the Holy Spirit of God gave them a revelation that their sin which is so huge... God will somehow pass over. I am free. And that's what causes Psalm 51 to come out of the heart of David. Now look at this. How can a just God look over sins? To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, God is righteous. On the cross, at the cross, God's holiness and God's righteousness meet. His holiness says that 
I will not look upon a sinner. And his righteousness says that the sinner shall not go free. And his mercy for us is displayed on the cross where God's wrath was poured upon a holy and a sinless Lamb of God. And this is where we need to find out where we stand. Because if you can't accept this, now look at this, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him that believeth in Jesus. Therefore, Psalm 51 was not written for an unbeliever. Psalm 51 was written for you and for me who are saved by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, a, a, a sinner who comes and prays Psalm 51, he does not understand the depths from which God has forgiven his sins. You and I, after we have been washed, spirit-filled, being led by the Spirit of God, we come to this place and we say, God, how could you forgive a sinner like me? This is the cry of David in Psalm 51. Lord, I ignored you for so long. And look, the beauty of this is that God had slain Jesus before the foundations of the world. I want you to, to understand the depth of God's wisdom. And here, we come back to Psalm 51, and we quickly look at a few things. Psalm 51 contains the objective reality of the cross of Calvary. It contains a view to Calvary. And we're going to ask the Lord to show us brokenness. Psalm 51, the first thing I want to say over there is, it shows you the brokenness of a penitent sinner who asks for mercy. He falls on the mercy of God. And he says, the first words out of his mouth are, Have mercy upon me, O God. Again he says, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, according to your loving kindness, these are the words that come out of a gospel redeemed person's heart. And he says, forgive me. Have mercy upon me. Exodus 34 and verse 6 says that Lord, the Lord, he is merciful. He is gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in mercy. Psalm, uh, Psalm 103 was again written by David. which says that bless the Lord of my soul. And then he goes on to say that he has not treated us according to my iniquities, nor punished me according to my sins. As far as the east is from the west. How many of us love that verse? As far as the east is from the west. Next time you say that verse, you need to think how far Jesus came to remove your sins from the east to the west. 
If you love that verse, you need to also love and appreciate the distance Jesus had to travel. Read Hebrews chapter 10, which says that a body you have prepared for me, O Lord. If you want to appreciate as far as the east is from the west, that is how far the Lord has removed my transgressions from me. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that is how great His mercy is towards them. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear Him. Psalm 103 written by David. And this comes from a heart, a broken man that falls on the mercy of God. Let me ask you, are you broken by the gospel? Are you broken by the gospel? Because the Bible says that, that unless you fall on the cornerstone called Jesus, the cornerstone called Jesus will fall on you. And if it falls on you, it will crush you. But if you fall on it, you will be broken. Are you broken? Are you sitting here with brokenness? Because you are wondering not about David's sin with Bathsheba. But for your own unrighteousness. Augustine, that great theologian of the first, first ten centuries... He says that my heart is like a vessel that has got mire underneath. And when the mire is not moved, I find that the clarity comes up on top. And then when it is moved a little bit by worldly ambitions and passions, then I find writhing reptiles come out of my heart. This is Augustine, Saint Augustine. Have you seen the rithering reptiles come out of your heart? Have you seen the wickedness that is there in your heart? You might be saying, I don't have wickedness. Oh, brother, sister, you need to be broken. If you say, I don't have wickedness in my own heart. You see, the moment you get angry with someone on the freeway who cuts across, and you say, oh, I wish you would crash. The moment you say that, you need to see that rithering reptile come out. Because you need to be broken by the gospel. It was, it was for that word that you will utter tomorrow on the high street that Christ died. If you can't see the outrageous magnanimity of God, the, the unthinkable wisdom in slaying the Lamb of God, we will not be able to appreciate the brokenness. Brokenness shows urgency for cleansing. Uh, I don't know about you, but me, the moment there is a taint of sin in my heart, I want cleansing. I want cleansing. It's as if I'm going to choke myself. Look at the words he uses. He uses, he says, purge me. Purging is, is if you are using a modern language, it means, Lord, press the shift delete key. Shift delete means, Permanently deleted. Not even in the recycle bin. I want you to feel the urgency of cleansing. Wash me, Lord. And the word used for washing, now listen to this, is what a fuller uses when he washes clothes. Trample me. I want you to see gospel over here. The brokenness of a man. The brokenness which comes to him. 
And this man says, trample me, wash me, purge me. Take the hyssop. And the hyssop was taken in Leviticus. It was taken for, for pronouncing the leper clean. Lord, sin has made me like a leper. I am unclean. Clean me, Lord. Brokenness shows an urgency. An urgency, a thirsting, a hungering. And say, Lord, cleanse me. I don't know about you, but I do that. And then brokenness declares God as righteous. You see, over here in the psalm, I was reading the verse 1 and verse 2. You could go and uh, break it up yourself at home. We don't, I think we're not having the luxury of time. When we reach to verse 3, David does something that is unnatural. Which means David magnifies his sin. Many of us, when we are confronted, we minimize our sin. We say, it is because that man cut me on the street that I got angry. It is because I was bypassed for my promotion that I got wild. It is because that so and so. David says in verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgression." My sin is ever before me. Now you say, no brother. As far as the east is from the west, I can't see east from the west. So my sin is so far away from me. But I tell you, it is good to remember your past sins. I'm not saying good to mourn over it. I'll give you three reasons why it is good. Number one, if you don't remember your past sins, you have nothing to praise God for. Number two, if you don't remember your past sins, you will commit it again. Number three, if you don't remember your past sins, you cannot help a fallen brother. Three good reasons why God allows your sin to be remembered. But you're saying that he puts my sin into the ocean of forgetfulness. That's the Lord, not you. You forgetting your sin has got a medical term and it is called amnesia. Which is not good. I remember my sin and in my sinfulness and in my brokenness I give God the glory for I know the distance He traveled to move my sin as far as the east is from the west. Hallelujah. That gives me joy. Now look at how he again magnifies his sins. Number one, I can't get it out of my mind, my Lord. Verse three. Verse four, I have sinned only against you. But he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. But how can he say, I sinned only against you? Let me tell you one way he sinned only against God. When he sinned against these people, he stopped God from blessing them. And number two, look at the consequences of his own sins. Think about Ahithophel. 
Think about Absalom. Think about Amnon. The, the Nathan said, the sword shall never depart from your house because of his sin. He remembers that because of him, these people had to pay the price. And he says, God, it is only against you that I have sinned. Any sin that we do is ultimately against the holiness and the justice of a righteous God. Therefore, he cries out and he says in verse 4, uh, it's only against you that I have sinned. He is not even trying to minimize his sin. Number three, he vindicates God and not himself. He says, God, if the earth was to split right now, or if a ball of fire were to come down and consume me, you will still be justified. He does not go and, and minimize his own sin and say, God, why did you do this? He goes to God and says, God, I thank you. I thank you that the earth did not swallow me up right now. That's gospel righteousness. That's, that's exulting in Christ. That is magnifying the Lord. Number four, David sees the root of his corruption. You see, never in the psalm was adultery mentioned. In one place he mentions blood guiltiness, but it does not mention adultery. Was that not the beginning? Or was it? He knew that it was his heart that was most corrupt. Therefore, in verse 6, which is again another key to understanding this verse, he says, Lord, you have desired truth in the inward parts. And in my inmost being, verse 6, you have desired wisdom. This is gospel righteousness. This is how broken people magnify God. Are you broken this afternoon? Number five, David exposes that his heart needs healing. Verse six, in truth, you will teach me. In wisdom, you will lead me. Genuine brokenness is a recognition of your and my wretchedness. Number four, brokenness shows an earnest desire for God through a passion for change. This is how I read the psalm. And this is how I urge you that this afternoon or tomorrow in your morning meditation, I want you to read the psalm with a freshness. Because now the fourth characteristic of brokenness is when you are broken, you have an urgent need for change. I worry about people who are born again and have not changed. I'm not saying they are not born again. That's not for me to call. That's for the Lord to call. But the Bible says that a tree is known by its. So if the fruit is good, that means the root is good. So if you are genuinely born again and yet you behave like when you were not born again, that worries me. Because gospel righteousness over here says that David lifted up his hands and told unto God, God, create in me a clean heart, for I know that it is from the heart that all the issues of life are well sprung. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Create in me a clean heart. Now the word clean is the, uh, the word create is the same word that is used in Genesis 1. It says that God created out of nothing. 
It is the same word that is used for transformation. And it is the same word you use in 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says that everything has become new or transformed. If your heart is not transformed, you will not be broken. Brokenness tells you to have a change. You are passionate about change. Oh, how I dislike my own lying. That should be the cry of some of us over here. Oh, I dislike the way I get angry. How I dislike the way I treat my wife. How I dislike the way I beat up my children. That should be the cry of someone over here and say, who lifts up his hands unto God because of Psalm 51 and says, God, create in me a clean heart rather than praying, change my wife. You go ahead and pray and say, God, create in me a clean heart. And renew a steadfast spirit is the same word that says that in my inmost being, renew me. And then this is a spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christian praying. And he says, cast me not away from your presence. Take not thine Holy Spirit from me. Do you pray that prayer? You should pray that prayer. One reason why you should pray that prayer is John 15, which says that as long as you abide, you shall bear much fruit. When you are cast away, you shall be put into fire. So the more the world tastes good unto you, the less Christ tastes good. And then he says something that is, the, that is key to understanding the joy of our salvation. He says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. You know what that means? That means that the pleasures of this world, hear me out you young men, young women in this room, please hear me out. The pleasure of those things, when the joy of the Lord moves away from my heart, I begin clicking on pornography. When the pleasure of God is removed from my heart, I begin looking for other ways to gratify myself. Because that, I think, will give me happiness. But I tell you, happiness is external, but joy is from within. And when the gospel righteousness comes inside you, oh, you are welling with such joy, and you say, for me, Jesus is more than enough. Hallelujah. Now that's the way that a broken man prays. That's the way that a broken man prays. And he says, God create in me a clean heart. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's because the joy has been removed from my tongue that I'm not able to even open my lips. Look at that verse 15 says that, open my lips. We were created to worship. And if you and I are closed with our lips, that means something is wrong with our brokenness. Open thou mine lips, and I shall yet praise thee. Do you see Jesus over here? Do you see the gospel over here? Do you see Calvary over here? Our time is gone. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Let's lift up our hearts unto God. Do not think that you and I can ever get beyond brokenness in this life.
Avoid thinking that a broken heart means I will be unhappy. That's the devil speaking. You could be broken and full of joy in the Holy Ghost. Both at the same time. And you will be fulfilling all righteousness in Christ. Would you talk to your father? Would you tell him to give you a broken heart right now? Because he has promised that a broken spirit and a contrite heart you will not despise. You could bring a lot of sacrifices, but it could be fake. But a broken spirit can never be faked. Would you tell the Lord, Lord, if I have not been broken by the gospel, break me now. Break me now. If I have never been crushed by the completed work of Jesus, crush me now. If I can't see the outrage of the sinless Lamb of God dying for my sin, God, let that, let that thought alone break my heart now and let it be lifted up as a sweet-smelling savor. As incense that is holy in your presence. Let's continue to pray. The word of God says, All are seen and come short of the glory of God. To the sinners, there is shortage of the glory of God. We need to open our hearts this day and let the word, the word of God that has been spoken, let it transform and renew our hearts. The word of God in Psalm 145 says, The Lord, in verse 20, The Lord preserve all them that love Him. But all the wicked will it destroy. All the wicked will it destroy. Brokenness is the way. Are you looking at your situation right now? Are you crying to the Most High God? You need help? I need help. Let's ask for Him that can help us. Let's ask Him to transform us. In Jesus' name, we are praying. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, Father, we have received your word this hour. Father, we ask, O oh Lord, the power to be doers of your word, release unto us in the name of Jesus. O oh Lord, as we step out of this place, Father, we ask, O oh Lord, that our life will be transformed in the name of Jesus. That we will live as we ought to live in the name of Jesus. Father, that the characters of the Lord Jesus Christ will reflect in us in the name of Jesus. O oh Lord, are there any that is struggling to forgive? 
O Lord, by the power in the name that is above every other name, we ask this day, O Lord, that you will release thy spirit over such one to be able to forgive in the name of Jesus. As their restitution to be made, Father, we ask the grace to be able to do so. Father, release upon us in the name of Jesus. Thank you, everlasting Father. Mighty God, we thank you for your servants that you have used to bring this word to us this day. Father, we ask that you will lift, your hand will rest upon him in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that the double portion of your anointing will rest upon him in the name of Jesus. Glory be unto your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we have prayed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Before we share the grace, our pastor, Pastor Augustine, arrived safely in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and he sent his greeting and his love to us all. Praise the Lord. Let's be on our feet. Remember that there is no women's meeting this week. It's only in August. Let's share the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forevermore. Surely, all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord. Go in the power of the Most High God.